Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. So why these particular T words are all in the title, you may may want to know. Fair question. It's because this podcast deals with subject matter considered to be taboo. This podcast deals with a person's perception of truths. And this podcast deals with storytelling tales of fiction told by an individual. You need to choose for yourself what you perceive as truths versus tales because very often in real life that distinction is not crystal clear. So here we go. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast. Thank you. Now let's get started. In the contemporary world of art, there is a genre of artistic expression known as performance art. This phrase explains specific behaviors and the uses of a person's voice and outward appearance and behavior intended to be viewed as a performance by an artist rather than real-life everyday behaviors or the typical real-world appearances of individuals that we all see each day. One example of the performance art genre is the long-standing work of Yoko Ono in New York City. She was married to John Lennon for 11 years. Perhaps Yoko Ono gained notoriety by using her voice in ways that resemble a person screaming and shouting not using words, making sounds with her voice, and to which the fans of Yoko Ono describe as her performance art. This podcast episode focuses in on someone else from New York City, not Yoko Ono. This podcast episode digs deep into taboo truths and what may or may not pass for truth versus fiction. This podcast spends time on the subject of how Donald Trump communicates and the various observable ways in which his public behaviors represent Trump and those who pay attention to him. In all honesty, this podcast episode is not another discussion of partisan politics or which political party is best for America. This podcast episode looks at Donald Trump, a well-known public figure, through the lens of his communications and especially his rhetoric and how all that messaging from a well-known celebrity blends together with his observable public behaviors. It is observable how Trump quote-unquote performs, you might say, or quote-unquote acts whenever he appears in public or whenever he delivers public communications verbally or through social media. This is quote-unquote performing or quote-unquote acting as actors do when they are on camera versus when their actions and their words are not being preserved. We should accept that what Trump communicates and how he behaves while in the public arena may not be how Donald John Trump, the actual and real person, genuinely is in his everyday life whenever his actions and his words are not being preserved. You would be very wise to consider what you see in Trump when he communicates and how he behaves in public settings, rightfully as an example of so-called performance politics. On one hand, we have performance art, Yoko Ono. And on the other hand, we have performance politics, Donald Trump. If this needed to be given a classic rock and roll song title, well, the only choice is The Ballad of Dawn and Yoko. Part 1. That well-known man from New York City. 
many Americans take a lot of comfort in collectively holding thoughts that happen to be shared across a large group of people, a very large group of people. And this is focused on one particular man who happens to have come from New York City. The proof about the driving force in this collective thing in America is what I would say is totally real and can be identified easily, easily in the real world by anyone who looks for it. The beginnings of the proof started in New York City during 2004 when an older white man who was age 58 at the time began attracting groups of ardent supporters in increasing numbers across the United States through his use of television. Yes, he became what we tend to think of as a national media celebrity, and that is someone who gets to be well-known because of appearing in media presentations, such as on television, and they become well-known for being well-known. In this well-known example, a native New Yorker became nationally famous, nationally famous, thanks to the use of American Network television programming. The Apprentice, that was the name of a game show involving individuals in a competition in which one person would emerge as the winner. The actions and behaviors, that is to say what we saw on our television screens of everyone who appeared in this television series, The Apprentice, were controlled and administered by paid television writers and paid producers on television who worked under the leadership of Mark Burnett. This guy, Mark Burnett from England, is one very enterprising guy, and he's made a lot of money creating ratings-winning television shows you've heard of, I'm sure. Survivor, Shark Tank, yeah, you've heard of them. Mark Burnett deserves credit for creating successfully a television celebrity out of Donald Trump starting in the year 2004. To the untrained observer, The Apprentice was an entertainment competition show or a game show, if you want to call it that, on national television, which separated winners from losers who sought the approval and the favor of Trump, the show's host. In truth, everyone who appeared on The Apprentice, including Trump, members of his family, and people who worked as his employees, performed or acted on camera, and they did not necessarily reveal their true selves. What we all saw on our television screens was created for us to see. It could have been produced for television to be an unedited visual and sound recording, um, plural recordings of people. But that is not what we got. All who appeared and all who had speaking roles in the television series, The Apprentice, delivered what were meant to come across to viewers as seemingly authentic 
lines of dialogue. In truth, what we saw on our television screens actually originated in scripts or production guidelines or notes that had been written by paid professionals in the television programming and production business. It all looked real because, well, that's what the television programming and production professionals intended. The outcome they got is the outcome they sought. They did their jobs quite well, thank you, and they all should be very proud of the work that they did. The simplest explanation of the entire 15 or so seasons on NBC television is that The Apprentice was fiction. The Apprentice was fiction. It was basic show business, which is for-profit business that makes money presenting entertainment for public consumption. Nobody will ever claim that The Apprentice television series was ever intended to be a fact-based documentary, which explored reality using objective methods, okay? Objective methods. However, The Apprentice nonetheless falls within the genre that is known as reality television. Part 2. A reality television series changes American partisan politics. I am not going to get into any partisan political discussion here. Uh, this is not to say whether the Democratic Party offers better solutions for the United States compared to the Republican Party or vice versa. However, what is going on here in this podcast is I do choose to use the fully correct term of Democratic Party, notice the IC at the end, instead of using the politically slanted term of Democrat Party, no IC at the end, which is preferred. Democrat Party is preferred by Republican Party loyalists. Maybe you are one as well. This podcast episode shares findings and conclusions concerning how people like you come to know and believe certain things, starting with how you use your mind. It's really basic. I'm telling you, it's what happens in between your ears. If you want to change your life so you have less anger each day and feel more contentment, you will need to choose to believe what I'm going to tell you regarding the use of your own mind. Now, if you find that my comments in this podcast episode about Trump bring out anger in you, the simplest explanation is your responses of anger stem from hearing comments which stand in opposition to what you have already chosen to believe. Now, everyone, including me and you, can choose to perceive of Trump as they wish. There is no such thing as objective reality for any human being. Reality is all in our minds. And perhaps worst of all, reality is subjective to each person's mind, or it can be also to a group 
of people's minds. Reality is just never reality all by itself. Reality is never self-evident. Many Americans choose to believe in the high value of the individual and especially the high value of an individual's mind. These same Americans happen to choose not to believe in the opposing view that's called authoritarian rule. Authoritarian rule is the opposite of having an importance about the individual and the individual's own mind. Trump favors authoritarian rule, no surprise. He was notable in achieving audience rating success by appearing on NBC television programming during the early years of the 21st century. His work on television made a lot of money for NBC television. In so doing, Trump became a legitimate and powerful media celebrity. That's the fact. The Apprentice was a cultural phenomenon in which tens of millions of television viewers willingly set aside their normal everyday skepticism and disbelief. Everyone has that. And instead, they agreed to share similar mental replicas of reality regarding Trump based on what they saw on that NBC television series. People's specific shared mind-based replica of reality is very simple to express. Here we go. That television series persuaded many people to perceive of Trump as a genuinely wealthy and successful New York City business leader who enjoyed the status of having made lots of money. So it was natural, therefore, to conclude Trump must be worthy of national respect and even admiration for his business-savvy mind. Then in 2016, what had begun in the world of New York City show business quickly morphed into American history. Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States. If we compare Trump to others who governed from the Oval Office preceding him, each of us would discover the factual truths that Trump had no personal experience in any previous elected office, had never served in any branch of the United States military, had no law degree, had never passed a bar exam, and was never licensed to practice law. What mattered far more concerning Trump than all this factual career background on him in the typical presidential profile context is that tens of millions of Americans willingly agreed to share a similar mental mirror of reality regarding Trump. Perceptions about Trump became reality. Part 3. The effects in the real world when people's minds are malfunctioning. Group thinking, which had emerged surrounding Trump based on his very big rating successes on NBC television, spilled over into the American presidency for four years from 2017 to 2021. Then Trump lost his bid for a second term in the national American presidential election that took place in November 2020. So what happened was Joseph Biden took over in the White House as the 46th president. 
Trump left Washington, D.C. to go live in Palm Beach, Florida. And he took maybe just a few, just a few federal documents along as souvenirs. That's a story for another podcast. Tens of millions of Americans were shocked at how the 2020 election turned out. Trump and his surrogates kept urging tens of millions of people to maintain their shared mental picture of reality, that Trump actually had won the 2020 election, and further, that he deserves to be reinstated as president. The legal fact is no U.S. constitutional law enables such a reinstatement of a former president. It's a nice fantasy for some people, but it is not a real thing in the logic of law. To be clear, it is perfectly legal for a former president to choose to run for office again, and he could be elected again for four more years. Legally, any former president who has not served a total of eight years can run and get elected again to serve four more years. This happened once before in American history when one person served two non-consecutive terms in the White House. Grover Cleveland, that was his name, he was elected and served as president for his first term from 1885 to 1889. And he also, Grover Cleveland, served a second term from 1893 to 1897. As had all previous presidential election outcomes, the one outcome of the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election had to be certified into law by Congress. That is what happens. But what happened instead was unprecedented in American history. Trump has stated that he wants to be president again. He wants to run for president again in 2024. It's not even a fresh or original idea. Grover Cleveland already did that. And Grover Cleveland is not, by anyone's definition, an icon for fresh and original presidents of the United States. Trump is someone who deserves to be thought of, however, as an original president. He has proven this time and again. But let's get back to certifying the election results in Washington, D.C. by the Congress. On January 6th, 2021, this was several days ahead of what was going to be the inauguration of the 46th president. So January 6, 2021, groups of Trump's followers and supporters arrived on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and they were there to act upon their mind-based shared view of reality about Trump. An angry and violent attempt by these Trump adherents or supporters, or devotees, took place within the headquarters of our nation's legislative branch in the District of Columbia. Some Republicans have chosen to lie, chosen to lie, and they lie each time that they claim in writing or on Twitter or anywhere else, on TV, when they 
are saying they perceived of people who attacked the seat of American democracy in the District of Columbia on January 6th, 2021, as mere tourists. Tourists! Tourists! In truth, we now know that this collective public action that took place in the District of Columbia was an attempt to impede the certification in Congress mandated by the U.S. Constitution, mandated to verify that the winner was Joseph Biden and that he would be the 46th president of these United States. That failed attempt by an unruly group of people was seen on television in real time all around the world. These were not tourists. <laughs> tourists. The violent actions cost the lives of several people on Capitol Hill on that day and in the days that followed after what happened on January 6th. Notably, notably, Republican Vice President Mike Pence was required by the U.S. Constitution to certify the winner of the 2020 presidential election on that day, January 6, 2021, and he fulfilled his duties successfully. Pence did what he was legally required to do that day, regardless of whether there was mob behavior on federal property on Capitol Hill, where he was that day. His chosen behaviors are now historical facts. Vice President Pence disregarded the obvious threat of a wooden gallows with a rope and noose constructed illegally on federal property by protesters in the District of Columbia for the stated purpose of blocking the congressional certification by hanging the vice president by the neck until he was dead. Instead, Pence did not die. He was rewarded for doing his constitutional duty. How was he rewarded? <laughs> Trump later announced Pence would not be his running mate in the 2024 bid for re-election. Who knows? Maybe Trump will change his mind. Who knows? But there was much more also in 2021 that happened directly from this shared mental mirror of reality maintained in the minds of Trump followers and supporters and devotees. Group thinking in the minds of Trump followers shifted from protesting the November 2020 election to protesting the worldwide airborne virus that became internationally known as COVID-19. In the minds of Trump followers and supporters, the virus was considered phony. Yeah, phony. Many called it a scam. While Trump was still in the White House, COVID-19 was nicknamed by some of his followers as a scamdemic. Tens of millions of Americans chose to believe COVID-19 was faked by partisan political opponents of Trump. Why? To make him look bad to the world. <laughs> That's what they believed, and some still believe. 
This is a shared mental equivalent of reality, and it stems from what is a genuine and not at all phony or fake worldwide virus. And this mental equivalent continues, continues to motivate many Americans today, right now, to avoid precautions to keep from getting infected by this airborne virus. The number of deaths from COVID-19 in the U.S. dropped, finally, in the year 2022 compared to the years 2020 and 2021. But the protests and the mind views continue nonetheless. Legitimate medical science vaccinations started to be developed during the Trump presidency at significant financial costs borne by U.S. pharmaceutical companies. Several corporations, such as Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, received federal taxpayer dollars in compensation for their very expensive medical science research and development prior to what they did in making the vaccines available for safe public usage. Among the many conflicting statements Trump has made regarding COVID-19 is the factual claim that vaccinations were created during the time that he, Trump, was the 45th president. The purpose of the vaccinations always has been to impede or arrest or mitigate, you pick a word, to do all of that to help keep the spread under control of what is otherwise a potentially fatal virus. You can die from it. Not everyone does, but you can get COVID-19 and you can die from it. Yet the same mental replica of reality held by Trump adherents continues to motivate millions of Americans to avoid getting vaccinated and to also refuse to wear proven protective facial coverings, medical masks that impede the airborne disease from being shared among people through their unprotected mouths and noses. If you wear a mask, you protect your mouth, you protect your nose. That's why you wear a mask. There are clear and visible powers in this shared mental likeness or mirror of reality originating within the minds of Trump followers. All people, regardless of their partisan political affiliations, ultimately are individually and collectively responsible for the specific thoughts and motivations that each of us holds within our own minds. If specific thoughts and motivations in people's minds morph into physical world consequences, such as spreading the virus by not being vaccinated and not wearing face masks, then the problem with COVID-19 escalates. Nobody forced anybody to think in specific ways about reality in the U.S. or anywhere else. Individual people all made that choice. Nobody forced anyone to think in specific ways about reality in the United States. Nobody. Individual people made the choice. The choice was made strongly powerful in the physical world due to collectively sharing mind-based thoughts about what is deemed to be real and what is deemed to be true. The deliberate thinking led to outcomes in the physical 
world. Deliberate thinking leads to outcomes in the physical world. Now, you all know a large group of American citizens continue to deny that Joseph Biden is the 46th president, and they also choose to believe in the false hope that somehow, someday, Trump will be reinstated, quote-unquote, so that he may work in the Oval Office once again as American president. He can run again in 2024, and that is the only path for him, for Trump. He can run again in the year 2024, and that remains the only choice that Trump will be returned to the Oval Office as the American president. The only choice. There is no being reinstated, quote-unquote. There is also an overlapping group of people who keep insisting that there is no validity of medical science treatments to impede COVID-19. They then refuse to take social and medical precautions to control the spread of this airborne virus. And this, in turn, has directly resulted in what accurately, accurately can be deemed as preventable deaths. Preventable. What do these powerful and unmistakably real outcomes in the world, including violence and death in Washington, D.C., and the loss of human lives stemming directly from a fatal airborne virus. What do they have in common? These physical world outcomes all began as people's shared mental images of truth and reality. Now, of course, real life is not as interesting or entertaining as Hollywood movies. You know, Honestly, we need to consider, for instance, why, why did ordinary citizens gather on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. in a frenzy of what can only be called group anger and group violence on the 6th of January in the year 2021? Here's the answer. Their collective mental replicas of reality made that happen. They never perceived of themselves as mere tourists who came to visit the District of Columbia, and to see the pretty Capitol Dome. No, that's not what they thought. Sometimes such people with shared thinking as a group end up breaking laws and hurting other people, hurting themselves too. This is precisely why I used the word unruly to describe these people. Sometimes such people get convicted of crimes involving violence and killing, and they end up sentenced to time behind bars. There is good news, however. Yes, you were waiting for that. Most people can, of course, make the choice to create positive non-anger-motivated, and non-violent outcomes in their own life. The solid proof that something is going wrong in how you use your mind is found in ongoing anger that you may be experiencing right now. Ongoing anger. People who know how to use their minds well can and do save themselves from the negativity of enduring ongoing anger in their lives. What I have concluded when I looked at the public behaviors of Trump, his followers, and those who write about or report about him can be summed up very easily. 
people, some people, not all, but some people have a malfunctioning mind. Or another way of putting it is they have a mind that is unfit for what is deemed as healthy, right? So malfunctioning, unfit, unhealthy. Part four, you can take ownership of the space between your ears. There is a process behind all of this, and it's a daily repetition that happens, a daily repetition. And uh, it's called mind voice. It can be called many different things, but it's a deliberate and direct method. You don't need your father or your mother for this. You don't need a celebrity such as Trump to tell you what to know and what to believe. The method is all yours to do with as you wish. And it's free, always free. It's a method for making sure that your mental equivalent sinks into your mind, so to speak. And it involves repeated, consistent playback privately in your head so that what you keep repeating and repeating and repeating becomes an integral part of you. It's an integral part of you because you repeat it again and again and again. Those people who became Trump followers and supporters gave up the opportunity to distance themselves from group pressures, to think and behave as a group of people wants everyone to believe. What do they want? They, they want to have others believe like them. They want others to be standing next to them, figuratively, not literally, to believe as they believe in this group shared mirror of reality. And what such people repeat to themselves day after day after day after day after day <coughs> is that the presidential election of 2020 was what they call stolen from Trump. Stolen, 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 stolen. They repeat that word to themselves day after day after day after day after day. They're stuck in a loop. They stuck themselves there in that loop. Stolen, 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 stolen. They repeat day after day after day after day. Okay, you can do better. You don't have to have groupthink like they do, because thinking as a group thinks and constantly repeating stolen, 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 I'm telling you, is not going to help you succeed in this life. And nor is repeating stolen, 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 stolen going to guarantee you success or happiness. It won't necessarily get you elected either just because Trump said, oh, yeah, this one's a good candidate. Vote for him. Vote for her. Stolen, 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 stolen. You have to learn, in contrast, to think for yourself. Now, I'll be honest with you right here. This thinking for yourself is not something that is easy to pull off. No, no. People who devote attention and loyalty to Trump are each, in one way or another, burdened by a short list of false truths. Here we go. I'm going to help you out by giving you this short list. Number one, your only happiness in life will be found 
in a blind and faith-based acceptance of some invisible higher power out there somewhere in the universe. Number two, life is predestined and predetermined for each of us by that higher power. You don't get to make choices in how your life turns out. Your cards are dealt from a deck that you neither understand nor control. So you grow up and you become an adult. Once you learn to play the cards you are dealt with and stop whining. And number three, if you do not find happiness or success in your life, that's due to the fact that the higher power does not want you to be happy or successful. So just get over any disappointment you may happen to feel and seek comfort in hanging out with other people who believe in and trust the higher power, like you do, as the final and ultimate control over all living things. Those are the three things that's on a list of false truths. In order to be a person who pays attention to Trump and who devotes loyalty to Trump and maybe even gives money to Trump, it's first necessary to be burdened by that list of truths that are false. Instead, it is possible to choose to live your life on your own terms and not, not keep buying into what Trump has programmed you way back starting with The Apprentice on NBC, has programmed you to accept as true. Part 5. Blame it all on Abraham Lincoln. There's a long-standing tradition of thinking about the people who become president of the United States and why it's because how these people as president define public speaking for the rest of us. In the U.S., we trace the consideration of public speaking as president being something really valuable. We trace that back to the 19th century, to the time of Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. Lincoln is heralded as having been a masterful public speaking. Yet, think of this, there are no audio or video recordings of him in actual public speaking situations. Nobody alive today ever heard the man's voice. All that exists from his public speaking are his words in text format and text descriptions of how people thought his voice sounded. The rest we have to imagine in our minds. Thanks to Walt Disney. Yes, Walt Disney. We all got a big boost in imagining in our minds about this thing I'm talking about. You may be one of several million people who experienced great moments with Mr. Lincoln. A technology simulation created in the year 1964. It was to demonstrate the speaking and the physical presence of Abe Lincoln, who had been dead for over a hundred years. That unbelievable technological accomplishment was a bold attempt to allow visitors to Disney resorts to come as close as possible to hearing and seeing the iconic figure Abraham Lincoln in American history. So look back and what do you see? American society has come to believe that elected presidents and even candidates 
can and should be compared to standards of excellence in public speaking that are attributed to Abraham Lincoln. The truth is there is much more at work in the process of getting elected to public office in Washington, D.C., compared to merely mastering good public speaking, okay? That's not so surprising now, is it? But historically, we Americans, as a culture, tend to respect the office of the presidency because of the importance it has in the development and the growth of our country and our culture. Yet, excellence in public speaking has never been a specific job requirement for that crucial line of work. It's not written anywhere, not a law. However, any candidate who seeks the presidency, regardless of partisan politics, ideology, or their organized religion, must somehow demonstrate that they have credibility and that they are worthy of being voted for or they will never become president. That's just a fact in our culture today. So we look back on Abraham Lincoln as a great American from our perspective here 150 years after he earned the dubious honor of being the first president to be assassinated. For us, Lincoln, because he was shot dead in Washington, D.C., 150 years ago, he has an enlarged presence in our lives, thanks in large part to man-made cultural artifacts such as you can find at the Disney resorts, in countless books, on the $5 bill, in the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and a large number of television and Hollywood productions that depict him. Thank you, Steven Spielberg. We ascribe to Abraham Lincoln a very rare significance in our history in our nation because of his work to keep the states united. We ascribe to Lincoln a very rare significance in the history of our nation because of his work to keep the states united, a passion of his that led directly to his murder at the age of 56. During his own time, however, what Lincoln stood for deeply polarized the population of the 36 states in those days. It would be inaccurate to conclude that Lincoln, when he was alive, was considered credible by all or that Lincoln earned everyone's trust as president. Those two things did not happen. Not considered credible by all and did not earn everyone's trust as president. Part 6. This is a fine mess you have gotten us into. Let's look at the dictionary definition of the word credibility. It's as good as any a starting point. A person is said to have credibility once they inspire other people to place their trust in them. If you accept that simple definition, you would be very smart, very smart to focus your time and your energies upon inspiring others to trust you, to trust you rather than upon the relative excellence of your public speaking. Okay? Truth is, well-written and well-delivered speech or on Twitter or on TV is worth nothing, nothing, if it does not inspire others to trust you. In contrast, it is true, it sounds very weird, but there's a high value in a badly written and poorly delivered speech if it inspires others to trust you. Here's another angle on this. If 
your public speech offends some people. Yeah, offends some people who are therefore not inspired to trust you. Then that same public speech impresses others who are inspired to trust you. Should you be satisfied with winning at least some of the public's trust? Let's go a little deeper. If your public speech offends some people who are therefore not inspired to trust you, but they represent votes you do not expect to win anyway, yet that same public speech impresses others who are inspired to trust you and whose votes you win, should you be satisfied with your ability? Therefore, if you win those votes, should you be satisfied to become trusted and win only certain votes? That's an important question, and it cannot be ignored. An important nuanced view of becoming trusted is one that evaluates outcomes. Are there ways that you can appeal to a particular audience segment while disregarding the validity and importance of other audience segments? In contemporary terms, this is called appealing to your base. For example, if we continue to discuss public speaking and voting, as a candidate, you could afford to lose some people by what you say, since you believe they will not vote for you anyway. Yet, at the same time, you can impress others by what you say, and they, that's other group, will vote for you because they trust you for saying what others find offensive. They respect you because they think you speak your mind. Okay, Such a nuanced view of becoming trusted begins to explain this perplexing reality from the 2016 presidential campaign. Here it is, the perplexing reality. Candidate Trump said disparaging and insulting things about people from Mexico. Don't take my word for it. Google it and read it for yourself or see it on a YouTube video. This is not what Trump inaccurately calls fake news. This is not fake at all. It really happened in real life, and real people really heard it, and they really saw it on television. I think you get the point here. Not fake. It is real. Those who counseled candidate Trump, and even the man himself, believed certain American voters would be impressed by his disparaging and insulting remarks towards Mexicans. At the heart of the disparaging remarks made by Trump against Mexicans was a gamble certain potential voters in those days evaluated as being likely to perceive of Trump as trustworthy because he chose to speak his mind so freely when he disparaged Mexicans as he did. Even though potential voters who were not likely to vote for Trump, would be offended by Trump's remarks. There certainly were potential voters who were persuaded by Trump to vote for him in November 2016. That kind of public speaking strategy, appealing to your base while distancing yourself from those who are not in your base, runs counter to the traditional rules first developed in ancient times 2,000 years ago about what it takes to persuade an audience. The Greeks and the Romans would never have used such strategies that Trump is using today. Plus, there is the very annoying fact that Trump personally seems to enjoy being cruel 
sometimes, and also humiliating others when he speaks or tweets or whatever. It seems possible that Trump tends toward being a cruel and humiliating person sometimes. Is it possible he may have experienced cruelty and humiliation in his youth from authority figures? Who knows? Read about him to find out for yourself. Trump may not actively be choosing to be cruel and humiliating sometimes in the present day after a troubling youth. Who knows? But one thing is clear. He became an adult who turned out to be quite good at cruelty and humiliation in public speaking, tweeting, whatever. A suitable word to describe such a state of mind in a person is sadism. Do you think that word can effectively explain Trump? Here's a little background. Sadists are people who enjoy inflicting pain and suffering upon others, and they usually also enjoy watching the suffering that they are inflicting. Do you think such a description is an accurate way to explain why Trump has said what he has said and what he has tweeted, all those cruel and humiliating things he has said? Do you think... The ancient societal norms 2,000 years ago from Greece and Rome set the foundation for our contemporary Western society. That is true. There certainly is historical evidence of sadists in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, even though the word itself did not exist back then in ancient Greek and ancient Latin. But a more important thing to think about is this. If the particular public communication strategy of disparaging others by being cruel and humiliating fails to win over a particular targeted audience segment, then it would follow that that strategy would never be used again by anyone after it failed in its original usage. But <laughs> Trump did not fail when he used cruelty and humiliation. He won the 2016 election and he became the 45th president of the United States. This kind of odd, if you will, public communication strategy appealing to your base is known as situational credibility. Kind of a long phrase, but it exists. Situational credibility. This 21st century construct simply means that some people, some voters, will find certain public communication from a candidate credible and appealing compared to other people, other voters, who find the same exact public communication from the same exact person lacks credibility and is not appealing. Trump is a stunning example of how situational credibility works. Yes, it works. Trump, the presidential candidate, spoke disparaging about Mexicans, but that was no barrier to his getting elected to high office in the United States. 2016. Trump's use of disparagement and cruelty and humiliation was extended by him to refer to other people afterwards, not merely Mexicans, as even a cursory view of the available public historical records will show you. I'm not making this up. Here are some examples. Trump disparaged Arizona Republican U.S. Senator John S. McCain, even after McCain, who was widely celebrated as a legitimate war hero in Vietnam, had died. Another example, Trump 
disparaged Massachusetts Democratic U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren by mocking her with the name Pocahontas. This followed her legitimate claim of having had some Native American ancestors. Now, these two well-documented Trump disparagements, I, I bring these up to show his strategy to disparage some people, to appeal to his base, pays no heed to the party. You know, they can be Democrats, they can be Republicans. It's simply that the disparagement, the cruelty, the humiliation works to appeal to his base. Maybe not to everyone, but to his base. In addition, it's also very well documented that the Trump disparagements or cruelties or humiliations extended in the range of years beyond targeting individual people to include American corporations as well. Trump has disparaged the American company Amazon. Trump has disparaged the American publishing company, the Washington Post, owned by the owner of Amazon. Trump has disparaged the American publishing company, the New York Times. Trump has disparaged the American media company, NBC Universal. These are just a sample of well-documented Trump disparagements. Some are more cruel than others, and you can look them up. Whether you agree with the Trump disparagements or cruelty or humiliation strategies or not, they're all recorded instances in American history. And all these records exist. They exist. You can look them up. These public communications of Trump are not in the least bit fake. So if you choose to disbelieve in their existence, I can't help you, and I urge you to stop listening right now. Just stop. Stop while you can. Run out of the room. Well, if you're in a car, don't do that. <laughs> but <clears throat> I want to tell you, if you want to get to the heart of the matter and you want to understand the basic nature of credibility, hope you do, these questions rooted in ancient Roman and Greece society 2,000 years ago should logically surface today in our civilization. Here's the first question. What is going on inside Trump's mind, his psychological or emotional framework, his drives, his vision for our future, and so forth? Is he actually a sadist? Does he tend toward public communications, which are usually found only in sadistic behaviors? Second question, is Trump's mind and how he uses it connected to his credibility? Trump may be performing, quote-unquote, in public, according to some unnamed consultant's advice on effective ways to keep riling the American public by the continued use of Trumpian disparagements, cruelties, and humiliation. That's a strategy. It's coming from somewhere. Coming from somewhere, but not necessarily originating from the mind of Donald Trump or the use of Donald Trump's mental capabilities. It may not be coming from there. Credibility is something that's very mysterious, but it's very, very important to understand. Otherwise, you will get hoodwinked. You will get riled. You'll get convinced of things that seem true to some people, but seem false to you. And you have to sort through. You have to think for yourself. And I already said this, it is not 
easy to think for yourself. It is very difficult. It is something that takes determination and work. But when you have someone such as Trump, who has broken many rules in the presidency, in candidate behaviors, candidate speaking, candidate rallies, and so forth, you need to think for yourself. You should never just accept what you see as valid and truthful. You should always be very, very skeptical and try, try, try to think for yourself. And in the end, it all comes down to you, to your mind. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. And that is what this episode has focused on. Things that seem to be true to one group of people, but also at the exact same time seem to be false to another group of people. All at the same time. So what is a truth and what is a lie? What is truth versus what is not truth? Well, you need to go visit the website. <laughs> you knew I was going to say that. You need to go visit the website, tabutruthsandtales.net, and look for more information. tabutruthsandtales.net, online, waiting for you right now. Don't fall prey to lies or cruelty, or disparagements, or humiliations, or sadists. The answer, my friends, is at tabutruthsandtales.net right now. Go there now. You will be happy you did. I really love Mexicans. They deserve my affection. Thank you, Madera D. Souza. He is solely responsible for this podcast episode. He researched and wrote it and you have been listening to his spoken words in his own voice. Learn more at tabutruthsandtales.net. <laughs>